I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash inner academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That is for you, you know. <laughs> Not for us. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so I am so delighted to be here. Um, Congressman Ryan, otherwise known as Tim, are, are going to speak just a little bit, and then we're going to move on to hearing from you. And, and we'll just have some discussion and dialogue, which I think will be Tremendous. So I have been practicing since January 7th, 1971. <laughs> I find those numbers really alarming when you actually count, you know, it's a lot of numbers. Um, and it feels like yesterday. Uh, I came back from India where I'd gone to learn meditation 
because one sort of had to in those days, um, right? And I came back in 1974 as a teacher because my own teacher had told me to teach. So I did it like the old fashioned way, you know? And in those days, of course, as many of you know, I'd be at a party or some social situation and somebody would say to me, what do you do? As we do. And I'd say, I teach meditation. And they'd kind of go, oh. <laughs> like, that's a little strange. Or every once in a while, somebody would say to me, did you meet the Beatles when you were over there? And I'd say, no, sadly, they went when I was in high school. Um, and now, all these years later, which in a way is like a breath. It's a moment in time, right? It seems like a lot of years from one perspective, and it's nothing in the, in the history of a tradition or, or a lineage, something like that. So this three breaths later, 45 years later, 40 years later, the most common response I get if I say I'm teaching meditation is, I'm so stressed out. I could use some of that. And occasionally I hear, oh, my partner should really meet me. <laughs> <laughs> and I hear something that I think, in a way, informs a lot of my work right now. I also hear, I tried that once, I failed at it. Um, and then sometimes people will describe why they thought they failed at it. I couldn't stop thinking, I couldn't have only beautiful thoughts or whatever. So I feel really called to that moment in time and people's experience because, I mean, you hear Vinny's story, we each have a story. You know, when access to these methods was much more rare, you had to have a mighty motivation to find them, which usually meant a lot of suffering of one kind or another. And so, you know, I, I went to India at the age of 18. I'd never even been to California before. You know, and it was like I had to find something. And so um, it isn't always that way anymore, and I think that's good. I think access should be, personally, I think it should be universal. I think that the best teachers, the best teachings, should be available to everybody, should they choose to, to use them, whether that's in person or through an app or whatever it is. I think access should be totally available. And then I think that people may need a lot more encouragement because that driving motivation may not be exactly the same level of intensity. And so we need to help one another in understanding the, I think, the possibilities in these techniques. And I was really happy in seeing the title of this uh, panel, we're a panel, um, <laughs> uh, to see mindfulness and compassion uh, and to see that they're, they're very much aligned. And so, uh, and so again, I loved Vinny's introduction. You know, um, there's an awful lot of connection in this room as I was walking down the, the aisle to get up here. And uh, I think we need to always be looking at that pair. Um, of qualities together. And so, Tim, I know you've done a tremendous amount of work with veterans, with schools, um, and you are uh, a model in the way of somebody who uh, is from a, a 
an arena in society where we don't necessarily associate those words. Mindfulness so. or compassion. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, so when I had my first experience with a five, you know, on a five-day retreat with John Kabat-Zinn, um, one of my immediate thoughts, because I was a congressman at the time, was how do you transfer this approach into our schools, into our healthcare system, all of the vets that were coming back. This was 2008, so all the vets that were coming back at that point from the war. How do you transfer this practice that was so profound of an experience for me um, into the broader society? And how do you, because, you know, really the first thought I had was, why didn't someone teach me this when I was like five? Would have saved me a heck of a lot of heartache over the years. Um, and so the schools, the healthcare and all the rest. And I just think when you look at where our society is today with the technology, with the income inequality, with the just m mass amounts of information that are coming our way, regardless of what profession you're in, um, how difficult it is to raise kids in that environment and all the rest, it's not 1920. It's not 1900, it's not the 1800s where most people lived on farms, most of the day was quiet, you would maybe turn on the radio, you know, there wasn't TV, or if there was, it was, you know, here or there, not even, hard to imagine, not even broadcasted 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So as our society changes, we need to change. And I think this is really a cool kind of intersection of in 1971 where you were and what you did and how you and others have brought this along and how society has shifted and so here we are going to conferences like this trying to figure out okay how do we kind of integrate these two things and really teach how teach people how to be in the world that we are now living in and I think as a country you know if we still are I know it doesn't always come off this way if you're watching TV but we are still the country that most of the world looks to for safety, security, resources, if there's a natural disaster. It's not saying we're better than anyone else, but we are relied upon for a good deal of um, responsibility in the world. And if we are going to play that role, and we're going to do it in a way that is mindful and compassion, compassionate and care about workers and the environment in other countries, not just our own, advocate for those things around the world, advocate for peace around the world. Um, we've got to be okay here. And if we're going to be okay here, we're only going to be okay if our people are okay. And if our people are coming from a place of compassion and mindfulness and have figured out how to be in this crazy world that we're living in. So to me, this is really an essential approach to having a real vibrant democracy in 2016 in America and coming from a place of kindness and compassion. So, I'm not sure what the question was, but that was the answer. It's perfect. It's perfect. I love that answer. Because I also think there's a, there's a quality of knowing who we are as an individual. And... Um, uh, having a degree of loving kindness for ourselves that translates into 
uh, kind of vibrant democracy? Like, how do we know that um, we have the right to be treated a certain way? Mm -hmm. Or um, as a, an individual or a community, you know? We know because we've seen that, that potential within ourselves to uh, really for greatness, you know, just as a human being. Mm -hmm to love someone else, to love ourselves, to uh, care, to be aware. Um, and so I think, you know, sometimes these days, of course, in the, in the great backlash uh, about mindfulness, you know, you, you hear it associated with a kind of torpor or passivity or, you know, yeah, we, you know, here we are in some ecosystem or another. And, we don't really want to change anything substantial, so mm -hmm. we'll teach them some mindfulness mm -hmm. <laughs> so that they can kind of sit there and be happy. Uh, anyway, and I think it's the opposite. Right. You know, I think it's really like, um, it's, it's a very assertive quality mm -hmm. because, because you really do understand things differently and about yourself and about how connected we all are and about the nature of, of happiness that maybe it doesn't come from what we've always been taught. Yeah. it comes from and maybe compassion isn't weak maybe it's strong and maybe vengefulness isn't all that strong yeah. maybe it's kind of limited and you know so it, it's sort of an uproarious quality in yeah. that way well I love that idea of being in the game with awareness being in the game with compassion playing by the rules you know in Ohio or you know I played a lot of sports growing up it's called sportsmanship you know I mean you play football you knock a guy down grab him pick him back up Slap them on the back, go back into the huddle, come back out, knock them back down again, pick them back up. <laughs> you know, but there's a certain amount of civility, you know, to athletes playing sports and competing at a very high level, what, regardless of the sport, and, and doing it with some grace. And I feel like mindfulness is how we can compete in the world with some, with some grace, without the hatred, without, you know, and politics. I mean, it's a full contact sport. I am going to contrast with my opponent um, or the, the person I'm campaigning against. I am going to vigorously contrast where I stand versus where they stand. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, sometimes I go to these mindfulness conferences and, oh, can't they be nice in politics and all this <laughs> stuff? So, no. I mean, you can, you can be honest and straightforward and firm but we it is the battle of ideas and those ideas need to be sharpened through debate and some conflict and that's okay it's but you know you don't need to make fun of people not that any of that's happening right now in the public <laughs> discourse um, <laughs> You know, you don't need to be as, you know, my wife teaches first grade, and I won't mention any names, but um, she watches all the political shows with me, and she's like, certain people behave in a way that I would, like, have to put them in time out in my first grade classroom. <laughs> like, that's not okay. That behavior is not okay. Um, so that's kind of out of bounds, but being in that arena with awareness and compassion is good. It's good for all of us, you know? And I think the other, the other piece, and I've talked a lot about this over the years with, um, with yogis and mindfulness people, is like they, they try to use it almost sometimes is to numb themselves from what's going on in the world, as you just said, and they don't vote. It's like if the world needs anybody right now, it needs people who 
spend some time in quiet, regardless of the meditation technique or the practice that you use, those are the exact people you need to be in politics right now because you will diffuse a lot of this stuff that's happening. You know? Where you could say, I totally agree with your, your stance on this issue, that issue, this, this. We're, we're all in agreement. But you can't act that way. You, know? you need people that are there that can help soften that up a little mm -hmm, bit. Mm -hmm. so. well, I totally agree about voting. I th everybody has to vote. <laughs> no, truly. I yeah. think it's... <laughs> I'm not just kidding. <laughs> um, but it's part of being connected. There was an article in the New York Times I read a couple months back, and it was about people that are, um, it was about not voting. And it went a little deeper than that. It was, it was the people who don't vote, um, they also don't go to church, uh, and many times this is a poverty issue. They don't go to church, they don't have a car, don't have a driver's license. Um, you know, they're disconnected in every way from everything. And as political operations, we try to go out and say, well, we'll just register these people to vote. Well, that's great. You're going to register them to vote. They're still not going to go vote if they don't feel somehow connected to their community, their church, their neighborhood, their family, their kids, their kids' future prospects, their future prospects. If you're disconnected, eh, I'm registered, but only 50% of people who are registered to vote actually vote. You know, if that. So it's more, and that's why I think this, what we're doing here is so important because it's about being connected to each other. And, you know, Benny makes us hug each other, you know? It's like, <laughs> if you didn't want to be connected, you are. When Sharon said, it feels very connected. I'm like, we're physically connected in here because of Benny. <laughs> but it's important to think of it in, in the way of actually just being connected on all these different levels. Yeah, before I get off the voting train, uh, which I promise I will. Um, I also know people who don't vote um, because they think the results will not affect them. And, and it's almost like it's a very privileged stance, whereas I say to them, you know, who will affect that person who needs minimum wage to go up? There are people in this world that we are disconnected from mm -hmm. totally. who are tremendously influenced by who their representative is and you know, or their state senator or somebody like that. And so um, I think part of really deepening an understanding of who we are is deepening an understanding of who we are collectively and that there is, there is a kind of connection between all of us that we need to be responsive to. Mm -hmm. And that's loving kindness, you know, yeah. in a feeling tone, and that's action of various kinds in, in life. So, okay, now we'll get off the track. Now you're going to announce your candidacy? Now we're going to announce my candidacy. <laughs> Not only do you need to vote, you need to vote for me. <laughs> Anybody in Massachusetts resident? <laughs> I, <am. laughs> I, just, I think we're, we're at such an interesting time um, where we literally are, in, we are creating a new way of operating because things are moving so quickly, whether it's technology, the economy, globalization, all of these things are continuing to happen. And where I come from, you know, we, we're very nostalgic about the old manufacturing jobs, you know. Um, one of the big steel mills coming back to Youngstown, Ohio and, you know, hiring 20,000 people. 
and there's a real nostalgia for that. And I try to gently remind people, you know, those weren't always good jobs. Those were very, very, there's a steel museum in Youngstown where I represent. Those are dangerous jobs. People get killed, people get hurt. They'd work seven days a week. You know, it was dirty, dirty, dirty lifestyles until public policy changed and had a 40-hour work week, an eight-hour workday, and unions came along and made, made it safer, and OSHA and all this stuff. So the public policy changed. So here we are now in a new era with where they say millennials, who will make up about 50 to 60% of the workforce in the next five years. So they will move out of your basement if they're, they're in there now. Um, <laughs> Maybe. Let's hope. That's why I'm more. I got a 13-year-old and a 12-year-old. I got to get this done before they're 18. So I've got a lot of work to do. But they're going to have like 30 to 35 jobs throughout the course of their lifetime. Wow. So we have to create an economy in order to be compassionate to them in the world they're going to live in to have portable health care, portable pensions nimble job training so that they can, not to get too much in the policy stuff, but so that they can move from these jobs and quickly get retrained and off they go to the next thing. So we need to create that. But you can't be creative if you're constantly in your head with old habits. That's right. If you don't take any time to allow, to tap into our innate creativity that we have, and that is in the present moment. It's not rehashing the same ideas that we've had the last 30 or 40 years. It's about creating. So to me, it's a, like a really exciting time. And if you put the, the quiet time piece into it, that to me is the only way we're really going to be able to tap into what is best in us and be able to create the kind of world that we want. But it comes from the inside out, not the outside in. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. If I lived Will in Will you Ohio, vote for me? I, I would vote okay, for you. Okay, good. But... Well, I'm done here. I don't no. live in Ohio. <laughs> I did. I picked up my vote. I'm at, out. As you know, in 2008, I yeah. did a lot of voter registration in Ohio. Yeah, in Cincinnati, so, right? Yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah. So I may be back. If anybody wants to come to Ohio in the fall. <laughs> I may be back. Um, tell me, if, oh, that was really beautiful, and I think <laughs> it's, it's so true, and it's why something like quiet time in school is just a, a chance for kids to get used to that kind of... Um, inner uh, refuge yeah. and creativity coming from inside is so important. It's so, it's so valuable and it's valuable across the age spectrum, but yeah. it's especially it's so beautiful fun. maybe in schools. It's fun to watch this get adapted to curriculum. And I agree with Benny, we're not here just to sell things, but it is fun to watch teachers learn, teachers incorporate quiet time, they start to embody the practice. They begin to transfer it to the kids. We have a school, um, we were working with Linda Lantieri and, and others, and uh, five years ago, we used to have earmarks in Congress that are supposed to be really bad, but I liked them, um, where you would earmark money for your congressional district for certain programs, and we did a program of social and emotional learning um, with a mindfulness component, and Warren City Schools. So Warren is an old industrial town just kind of north of Youngstown, south of Cleveland. And tough schools. We implemented it five years ago. We just got, had the superintendent run some numbers about a month ago. 
Five years ago when it started, K through three, there were 215 out of school suspensions in this school district. As of last month, after five years of this being implemented, 14 this year, wow. as, as far as this year goes. And, you know, part of this, the practice is seeing how things fit together, see how things are integrated, and so we have a group that wants to fix the neighborhoods and this and that, and I was always, you know, and became more clear to me is that you're never gonna fix the neighborhoods if you don't fix the schools. Yeah, you need to knock down the dilapidated homes, well, let's put up some urban gardens, let's get kids growing things instead of destroying things, I'm all for that, but if you don't change the schools and the kids that are, you know, where you got them for eight hours, and teach them how to self-regulate and teach them how to balance their own emotions, teach them how to have some quiet time, take some deep breaths, you're not gonna change the neighborhoods, no matter how many gardens you plant. And so it all has to all come together in a way. And again, I think when you look at the millennials, how exciting it would be if we had a national program that we're knocking down dilapidated homes, put up urban farms, growing food, paying people to do it, veterans coming back, which is really therapeutic for a lot of these vets who are coming back, to grow food, you reduce your environmental footprint, you renovate, you're, you're bringing a real renaissance to older urban towns, you have kids participating, eating healthy food in food deserts. It's like, this is not that hard, you know? I mean, it's hard to get it done, but it's like, the ideas are there. But it should be exciting for America to say, okay, we're gonna figure out, as Americans, how to solve these problems with compassion, with awareness, with seeing how things are interconnected. And to me, that's why it's really exciting to be alive right now in this, you know, and at this point in American history, um, to be alive and have the ability to influence the world in a very positive way, to me, is very exciting. It's fabulous. Wow. <laughs> I'm inspired. I'm inspired. <laughs> Uh, maybe this is a good moment to, to see what you're thinking. If you have questions or comments or um, there, there, I don't know what's happening with the microphone. There are two microphones, and if you raise your hand, someone will bring one to you. And it's a little hard for us to see, or at least for me to see with these lights. So you're going to have to choose people and give them the microphones, okay? Okay. Can, you can hear me? Can you hold it a little closer? Hello? Okay, good. Um, Congressman, um, it, it's just such a pleasure to hear you talk about social and emotional learning. I know that um, you were instrumental in um, getting some language included in the ESEA bill this past um, mm -hmm. authorization. So getting that in there, I think, is really essential for everyone to know because this actually authorizes local communities to be able to use federal dollars right. for these programs. So you can now go to your school boards and you can go to your communities and get them done. So I want to commend you for that. And I want to just ask you maybe to talk a little bit about how proving in the schools that these programs work will open up new doors for other you know, compassion-based programs that do not have research attached to them so they can get an authorization like you did with, with SEL. You were limited to SEL when I believe that there was a movement to try and do more compassion-focused programs. So, I mean, that's my question, but it's more just a... Well, so just to give you a little snapshot um, of what she was mentioning, so there's, like, um, there's funding that goes by formula to local communities, um, Title I, for example, 
based on poverty rates, size of your community, school district, and you get money and you get to hire teachers, pretty much you have a lot of control over that. So in the last, what's called a reauthorization of um, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, we were able to consolidate programs and get this money, another program, back to local communities, local school districts. And we were able to write the language that social and emotional learning and what it does would be able to access this money. So it gives local communities, local school districts the opportunity to use funding to promote and implement social and emotional learning, which I think is really cool. So this is, this is a great um, day for us as a community to be able to uh, ramp this up. Um, the compassion, you, you, you've got to have the research. You know, um, you know, you can't show up with crystals and say this is going to transform our classroom and every classroom needs to have crystals in it, you know. Um, it's got to be, it's got to be researched, it's got to have some science behind it and, and that's the only way we're going to be able to do it. Now I'm not saying that uh, loving kindness practices, compassion practices, I. I know there's a, a change physiologically, and I don't know if we have enough evidence yet to say this needs to be part of a um, program in the schools, but um, these SEL programs to me are very much teaching compassion, self-compassion because you learn how to regulate your own emotions and then how you're connected to others. So I think while that word may not be used, I think it very much is part of of part of the social and emotional learning program too. And it's part of shifting the, the, the consciousness of people to say, we know if you're social, socially and emotionally stable, you're a much better learner. We know if you feel safe, you're a much better learner. That is not breaking news. I mean, that's like a no-brainer. And so, again, things have changed so much. Families have changed so much, communities have changed so much, the country has changed so much, the economy has changed so much, that we now have to teach this. So, okay, we can complain, oh my God, these parents are not raising their kids, and that the, we can complain about it, or we can just do it. We've, we now know that we have the capability to do it, now let's just do it. Mm -hmm. So, thank you, though. And I think that's a very interesting, for those of you who are scientists or researchers, that's a very interesting point that we really do need the research for that kind of uh, accessibility to happen and that I've been gratified of course personally to see that there has been some shift to more research on mm -hmm. techniques of loving kindness and compassion and, and I hope that there can be even more because it will make a difference. Totally. Yeah. Gentleman over there. Hi there. Um, my name is Fiona Jensen and I uh, started a nonprofit that brings mindfulness into public schools. And I just wanted to address that and the need for research and the importance of not bringing crystals in. So we just, this winter, um, our program was uh, attacked by the NCLP, which is a very right-wing biblical Christian organization where they came after a school district for bringing mindfulness into the schools. And it was pretty scary because if the, what's happening in a lot of districts around the country is somebody like you or me might decide this is a really good thing and the principal says yes and then 
somebody like this organization sort of rattles the cage of the, non of the district and no school district is really wanting to deal with lawsuits. And so they drop it and that happens across the country unfortunately, but luckily for us, and I think it's like this, it speaks to what's happening, but, but there needs to be care in how you're doing this was the district said, hell no, we're not dropping it. And mostly because there are thousands of parents who came forward and said, do not take this away from my child. But we'd been doing research for two years with Yale, and so there is this component, and those papers hopefully will be published over the next couple of years. But my word of caution as people move forward is there is this church and state thing that is really real. Like you really cannot use the singing bowl, you really cannot say namaste, you really cannot be you know, doing mudras in the classroom, like even though that might be what you totally believe in. And so I think it's really important for people to be aware of that because what'll happen is, you know, you're thinking you're doing well and in reality what you're doing is taking the legs out from the rest of us that are trying very carefully to figure out what contextual frameworks we're bringing this forward. So it can be done, it's really important, we're getting closer, to, you know, we're talking to a lot of politicians, Department of Education, but if it's not done with care, you know, you, you can really um, get booted out, you know. So I just Thank wanted you. to share that. Uh, we have a follow-up question. Uh, yeah, a comment in part. Um, I'm a Methodist clergy in Fort Worth, Texas, and I appreciate your comment very much. And I, I really partly want to say I appreciate this kind of event where people from all kinds of different backgrounds can come and listen deeply and be mindful in a way. And people who are connected with whatever community, and for me, it's a Methodist church in, in Texas. <laughs> and that says a lot right there. Um, and... and, and um, and, and to be able to engage in non-threatening dialogue and listening. Um, and so I, I want to appeal to everybody, just find ways to be in open dialogue with everybody. And the other thing I want to say, just real quickly, is Parker Palmer. I would love if you are familiar at all with Parker Palmer's mm -hmm. Healing the Heart of Democracy. And if you know ways that that's kind of connecting with people, I would love to hear more because I'm doing a lot of work in the Fort Worth, Texas area in relation to that. Uh, I'm very familiar with Parker, but I don't know if it's caught on outside of our world just yet, but he's a pioneer without any question. I got a question way over here. I'm sorry. Y'all can see me over here, way over here to the stage right. There you are. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Congressman Ryan, um, as you've expressed, uh, as the consciousness of the community closer? grows, as the consciousness of the community grows, you expressed this early in your comments, that the leadership uh, becomes more conscious because people vote for more conscious leaders. <laughs> so my question to you is, have you seen any quirky things that you might not have seen 10 years ago that just are signs of a shifting paradigm, like Rockefeller divesting from uh, dirty energy, or is, is there anything that you can share with us, uh, an anecdote of any sort? No, actually. <laughs> Still waiting. Uh, <laughs> what about Parliament? Well, you know, I, 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 
have a candidate in the presidential election, and I don't like to politicize these events at all, but I will say to have a, a major candidate from a major political party stand up and say from a podium on numerous occasions that we need more love and kindness in the world, to me is a, a beautiful thing. Um, so that to me is very appealing to say that you can be strong and you can be tough, but at the end of the day, you know, sometimes loving someone is being tough. Telling them the truth may be tough. Mm -hmm. My wife tells me the truth sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always want to hear it, but it, she says it's out of love, so I believe her. Yeah. Um, but I think someone saying that in 2016 is a, is a shift. It's a shift. Great. That's great. Question here. Hi, I'm Maureen. I'm actually from Niles, Ohio. What? What? Yes. So, and I'm a part-time faculty. That's my hometown. Yes. Back home. Yeah. So, oh um, I'm very happy to be here, but I'm part-time faculty at YSU, at Youngstown State University, and I'm teaching practical meditation and mindfulness for veterans and mindfulness for non-veterans. And Are you working I, with Jen Pintar? Yes. Okay. That's the Great. chair of the department I'm in. Great. So... Um, I just want to say thank you for talking about voting because I feel it's an obligation for me to share this information with the students and I think they feel really weird coming in and their meditation instructor saying, you know, today we're going to talk about voting. Yeah. <laughs> but I want them to, you know, come from a place of love knowledge and not from a place of fear or being scared. So I just wanted to thank you for bringing that up and making me feel a little more comfortable. And I also want to say, Sharon, I'm very grateful for you too. I require the, your book, Real Happiness, in my mindfulness classes. So thank you both for thank doing you. what you're doing. Thank you. That's great. That's great. Well, it's, it, if I could just say, part of what talking about politics while you're incorporating mindfulness I think is really important because you are it's almost like teaching bullying in the social and emotional learning uh, in the younger grades they they act out a bullying scenario who's the victim who's the bully who's the bystander and then okay we're gonna talk about how this goes down so when it actually goes down you can see what comes up in you how to regulate in that in in the field of battle so to speak and I think it's the same with politics. And so if we taught you know, some kind of quiet time in our political science courses, um, maybe there would be half a beat that people would wait before they judged a comment, a reactive judgment based on what the other side said because they're the other side and they're the other team. And so we're gonna, so I think that's brilliant to have that incorporated in that. So great job. Hi, Hi. Um, so glad to see you all. Um, this morning has meant a lot to me, and starting with Vinny saying about, um, or Mo, I don't remember who it was, but about all of us coming into the room, but also bringing all of us, that um, there's been some things that you all have said that have made me, have helped me come to a term that I've never used for myself before, which would be sort of an inner democracy. Um, connecting more with myself and um, this idea that maybe uh, 
as I try to navigate and accept and witness and observe and act out of my awareness of all these dark parts of myself, that, that we could even kind of help children think about that as voting. I mean, I'm having to kind of get all that information and decide what I'm going to do with make it. Make a choice. And make a choice, yeah. yes. And I think that being able to talk about that might help kind of a, a sense of connection, both with themselves, others, and this process that is so challenging that you're talking about, um, of refining and, and, uh, and going to battle and yet doing it um, as wholesomely as possible. So thank yeah. you both for what Welcome. you're trying to do for all of us by raising conversation about thank this. Thank you. Great. Someone needs to write a book. Maybe it's you, Sharon. You write a lot of books. Uh, <laughs> inner, the inner democracy. I, I heard that. I, hear, I took that in. Somebody inner steal that idea. Book title. Capitalize on it. We are Americans here, for God's sake. I, I, I took that okay. in. So, yeah. I have two questions. Uh, one, it's. Um, I've often wondered what teachers say to kids when kids call names on the playground, and they say, well, I see name calling done by the... People run, mm -hmm. you know, on TV, and these got or debaters doing it. Uh, let's say you're running a debate class in the high school level. I'm sh so that was one question. And the second question is, um, when do you think mindfulness is going to be more mainstream? I mean, when I tell people that what I... I'm just on a mindful journey myself, and it's saving my life, and it's helping me. And when I tell people mindfulness, they think I'm a hippie. <laughs> and Are you? <laughs> I don't think many people would call me that, but if that, but to be honest, if that make me more mindful, I'm cool with that. <laughs> whatever, whatever works. But uh, no, I'm from the software industry, so <laughs> hardly. But I'm wondering when it will be mainstream because I think we'll have a happier place. But so, but I'm really curious about the what do we say to our children? Luckily, my children are adults, but I, I, it's scary to think what how parents have to deal with this. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, mainstream is a relative term. I understand what you're saying. Like. Um, Dan Harris is an ABC newscaster who was going to be here, but uh, could not because of some news. I don't know what it was. But, uh, uh, and he said that. He, something to do with the news. Um, but he's a friend of mine, and uh, we work together sometimes. He has an app based on his book, which was 10% Happier. And he says to us, you people think you're so mainstream. You're not so mainstream. You know, so I always think of his voice. But of course, you have to think about where I'm coming from, you know, which is in 40 years. It's, it is like a revolution from that point of view. Um, and I don't have, you know, I, I'm not into proselytizing or insisting or holding this up as the panacea, as the answer to everything. I just think it changed my life and saved my life just as you said about you, and I always think of this little girl, I think she was in Ohio, in one of the schools where there was a mindfulness program. She was like maybe five years old, there was a news clip about her, and, and she said, mindfulness is the best thing in my life so far. <laughs>
And I thought, mine too. And I'm a lot older than you. Um, you know, I just think it should be available. It should be something that everybody should have access to in the finest quality, not some lesser version. Uh, I think everybody should have access to that, uh, to use or not use as, as they are moved to. Um, but, you know, so I don't have that thought of like, well, if we only did this, then it would. Uh, I think we, we hear some messages like research is important. Um, not walking into a corporation saying, now we're gonna chant Om, it's probably important. Um, you know, using language uh, that's about life, because it is about life. It's not about an esoteric, um, abstract activity that can only be done by certain special people in certain special circumstances. A friend of mine was looking through my book, Real Happiness, and he said, oh, you wrote this one in American. And I thought, yes, finally, you know, because that was my goal. Um, and I think there, there are ways we can just be ourselves and in uh, connection to others. That, that is the expansion. That's the vision. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is just, what it is. And it's, you know, to see, even in the five years, six years that the Mindful Nation, the book I wrote, came out, which is at Amazon.com, actually. But you can it. <laughs> I bet it's in the bookstore here. Shameless, bookstore. shameless politician, I tell you what. Hey, these diapers get expensive. I got a two-year-old at home. Um, even in the five or six years since that book came out, the, to look at, in Men's Health, for example, you know, magazine, almost every two weeks or however often it comes out, um, there's a little page in there about meditation or quiet time, women's health, same thing. You, you see what's going on with the Seattle Seahawks and what they're doing. And um, I, they just called votes on the Hill, so I'm going to have to sneak out here. But I think we're almost done anyway. So, yeah. um, but I just want to say this about the, um, five minutes left. the Seattle Seahawks. What I find very interesting, and Michael Gervais, who their, their sport, is their sports psychologist, talks about what I talks about this in the heat of battle it's recognizing um, what's going on in your head and if you if you don't understand what's going on in your head you can't shift your thinking so he uses a, a variety of techniques but one of them is he tells players I want you to have a highlight film of, and think about all your best plays and I want you to keep playing that highlight film in your head and that will build confidence and then you will go out and you'll play with confidence and everybody plays better with confidence regardless of what you're doing. But what's the first step of that? Is being aware of what's going on in your head. And if you're not aware that you're having these negative thoughts, like you get over a 15 foot putt and you say, I'm gonna miss it, I'm gonna miss it, look how long this is, there's all these, you know, there's all these reasons why um, or I'm not gonna handle the situation correctly in my classroom or with my kid. Why do I keep messing that up? Why do I keep messing it up? And again, it's catch yourself and shift. It's a choice. It's the inner, it's the inner choice that you have of, there are moments where you were a phenomenal parent. You think, boy, I handled that great. Wasn't that cool? 
can I do that every time? Well, keep thinking about that situation and something happens to you physically and emotionally and mentally where you're just like, okay, I got this. So you can't, but it's so easy to have a friend of mine who talks about negativity and negative people. And he's always telling me, don't, especially in my line of work, don't plug into them. He says, when you start to judge, and we don't talk a lot about judgment and non-judgment as much as we should in the mindfulness movement. But when you start to judge, he said, you might as well just plug your cord into their socket and you just take it all on. So don't judge them. If you have the negative thoughts, touch them with your awareness and let them go and come back to who you really are and see, what you, see what's going on in there. And that's why I think it's so fundamental to learning, to creativity, to voting, to being a parent. So fundamental is being present, seeing what's going on in your head. And, uh, you know, I, I got to go, but <laughs> you, you think of people who have road rage. This clearly isn't an issue of I just cut in front of you. Like, you're getting crazy. And some people get super violent. It, I just think, what are the string of things that are on this person's mind going on in their life that someone cutting them off leads to, I'm going to shoot you? Like, literally, it happens. So I think all of us... Chill. Chill. So, so, isn't it great Congress waited until we were done? Yeah. Before they called you? A sign of compassion She's by the United States Congress. We have Congress. two minutes left. So I can't. I, she, I really do you have time for one more? Yeah. She's We're left. We're I'm done. sorry. Okay. I really am sorry. Love you. I love you too. So we really are done. I think that was a miracle. She's held up the sign for two minutes. So um, thank you all. Thank you, Congressman Ryan. It was so fantastic. See, that's inspiring, right? You wouldn't have seen that 40 years ago. Well, we should all move to Ohio so we can vote for him, unless he runs for national office. <laughs> we don't have to move. So it'd be a compassionate gesture. <laughs> okay, thank you all so much. It's really, it's a moment in time. I always like think about how many people are here in this room and um, it's extraordinary and, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And who knows what every connection and every conversation and um, is just onward leading and so.